0: The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, good morning. How are we? Good? Great. One of you as well. That is good to know. Uh, my name is Kylem. I get the privilege of being a pastor here at the, the church um, and it is my great um, yeah, privilege just to welcome you this morning. If you're new, uh, if you don't know uh, much about us, welcome. Welcome. Um, I would like, before we get into this, just to actually pray. We've got a number of people in our church who are really, really sick. So my kids, I've had two of my kids have been sick all week, and now another one's down. And so we've got tons of families that are just going through it. So if we could just pray for just just a moment, just to ask God that he would uh, look after our our kids and our families and anyone else who might be sick in our church, uh, that'd be great. Uh, Lord, we thank you um, that you're a good God. and Father, we realize that we live in a broken world where sickness occurs. Uh, and so, Father, I pray for anyone who is in our church uh, that has currently got the flu, COVID, whatever it might be, if they're crooked, uh, God, would you come alongside them? Would you uh, give them a swift uh, recovery and healing? Lord, I pray that you would strengthen those around them to, to love and serve them. And uh, God, particularly if it's a family who's got multiple kids that are crooked, that can be difficult sometimes when you're trying to do everything. So, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen uh parents and families, um, as well as maybe housemates or those who might be around each other. Um, yeah, Lord, we thank you that we can pray for one another. I pray that you would help us to consider one another uh, throughout the week, those who we know who are ill, maybe through our life groups, God, that we would just be thinking of each other, praying for each other, uh, and serving one another, I pray uh, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Um, it has been said that marriage is, is like a beanbag told you I'd have some good jokes to start off this week. Really great and comfortable for a while, then it's, di- then it's difficult to get out of. <clears throat> or it's like a game of Monopoly. It starts out fun, gets a little boring after a while, and then someone steals some money and no one ever wins. Uh, but I prefer that marriage is like fine wine. If tended to properly, over time it gets better with age. Can I get an Amen. Yeah, there we go. Okay, we got a good one. All right, the first two were jokes. Um, We are going through a short series on relationships. And so we we started last week looking at the first part of that passage about being filled with the Spirit and the idea that the problem with relationships is that uh, sin has entered into our world and so sin has affected us. And so sin and its effects have been basically that we, as Martin Luther said, sin is self-bending in on self. And so what happens with sin is sin affects us in such a way that we, we basically put a mirror to ourselves and we, we want to serve ourselves. And that's the, the natural disposition of the human heart. But when we uh, become Christians and when God saves us and we, we are filled with His Spirit, um, what, what God starts to do is He starts to bend us out from self to, to basically out to one another and up to God. And so the, the Christian journey should be one of of over a period of time becoming less and less selfish and more and more selfless. Um, and so this is a major thing, particularly when it comes to, to marriage and that intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. Um, I know that when I got married, Carl and I have been married over 20 years, when, when I got married I had certain expectations of how she would serve me. And then she came into the marriage having expectations of how I would serve her and over a period of time, God's, God's kind of helped us to kind of go, hang on, that's not the priority of the focus. The priority of the focus is not to, how can you serve me? How can you serve me? It's, no, no, how can I serve you? How can, how can I serve you? And so the, the greatest argument should be an argument over who's serving who, not who's being served by the other. But obviously we need the Holy Spirit to do that work because that's not natural. That's hard. That's difficult and there are days, you know, like this week my family is all sick and I'm just like, oh, I just, I don't want you to get better for yourself, I just want you to get better because this is hard work for me. Like, you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden you're like, my kids are sick and I'm, I'm selfish. It's like, this is, I don't want to have to do all the work. I don't have to, you know, and it's, it's like, oh, hang on, no, 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 as, even as a parent, I'm there to serve my kids. And so what we have in this particular passage, we're going to do this over two weeks um, the next sort of part, of, we're going to look at the idea of, of partnership. And so last week we really looked at the idea of sort of preparing for marriage. Uh, this week we want to look at what does it look like to, to partner. And so we're going to walk through this, um, we're going to see where we get to, and then we'll, we'll finish it and then we'll pick it up again uh, next week. Are you with me? So I've got a few things here that I think we see in this particular passage um, coming from verse 31. Uh, firstly, marriage is designed by God. Okay, verse 31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul is picking up something that was written in Genesis more than 1,500 years prior. So Paul picks up on this idea that, hang on, this is something that, that God designed, that God made, that God instituted. Um, it is quite common in our culture today that people believe that marriage is a sociological construct that we've come up with the idea, and so different types of cultures um, have come up with it. And the, the Christian worldview says, no, 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 this is not a modern construct. This is something that actually was purely designed by God from the very, very beginning. And so Paul picks up Genesis 2.24. Jesus also picked it up. Um, but the idea is, this is, God's, this is God's idea. This is God's design, that one man, one woman would come together and they would, would become a, a marriage couple. So if God designed it, then God has a purpose for it, and therefore we need to ask, why did he make it? Why is he designed it? How is How has he designed it? Why? Like, what, what's, he, what's he wanting from this particular relationship? So first thing is that marriage is designed by God. The second thing is that marriage points to God. So you see this in verse 32. He finishes and says, this mystery is profound. This mystery of a husband and wife is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What Paul is saying is that the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, it's a shadow. It's not actually the main thing. There's something that's actually more important. And this is, this is good to know because, again, we looked at last week, one of, the, one of the negatives I think we can have in modern culture, particularly with romanticized versions and views of, of relationships, is we make marriage the ultimate thing. And Paul's like, no, 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 marriage is a good thing. Marriage is a God thing. But marriage is still not the ultimate thing. God is the ultimate thing. And everything that we have down here, some way is trying to reflect something about God. So so when we look at a husband and wife, a marital relationship, we're not just supposed to look at that and kind of go, okay, what does it tell me about them? But actually, what does that tell us about God? Because He made it. He designed it. And so what is the purpose of A shadow, what is the purpose of a sign? It is to point us in the direction of the main thing. C.S. Lewis wrote 50 years ago, borrowing from Jonathan Edwards, he said, Marriage is the ray, God's love is the sun. Marriage is the symbol, God's love is the reality. Marriage is the stream, but God's love is the ocean. And so the idea of marriage having... Male, female come together as so we're supposed to, supposed to see something about God. That's a really tough question to ask with a mirror pointed towards your, your marriage. So my wife and I, how in our relating one to another do we image and reflect the nature of God? It's a tough question to ask because sometimes, if I'm honest, we don't do that well. Other times we do, but there are times when we don't. But but what what Paul is saying in many ways is that uh, marriage is like a gospel reenactment. Through it, we get a taste of what the love of God looks like. In the beginning, and we're going to see this as we go through, God makes them male and female in Genesis 1 and says, In the image of God, He made them. Male, female. Together, the man, the woman, together, the male, the female images God. One on their own does not image God well or enough. And so if God just allowed Adam to be there, he would have imaged God to some degree, but there would be something missing in him. And if God had just had Eve, she would have imaged God to some degree, but something would have been missing. But you put Adam and you put Eve together, and, and together you watch something. Together you see a partnership which is reflecting god and so marriage is designed and made by god marriage points to god and then thirdly marriage requires god so marriage as god has designed it is hard anyone here been married for a little while can say it's just been so easy he hasn't been he's never been a jerk he's never left crap laying around he's never been lazy um right it's 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 always been easy it's like no it's not it's it's difficult because it's two sinful people, two selfish people God's bringing together, and slowly over time he's bending them from bending in on himself to bending out on himself and uh, and over time all of a sudden it becomes easy uh Words matter, right? Easier. So before this, God has, has, I think through Paul, has intentionally made sure that the filling of the Spirit is there to say that, hang on, marriage requires you to have God. This type of marriage is going to require the help of God because it's hard and it's difficult. But it can be beautiful if we will go along and allow the Spirit of the Lord to help us. And then even look at the passage that we're looking at today. It, it tells wives to submit to their husband. Well, that's easy. How many women are like, oh, I love it! Yes! I've always wanted to do that. It's like, particularly in our modern context, oh yeah, just tell me more. Hierarchy. Oh, I love that. Uh, then it tells husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. Like ladies, I know you, you kind of get like a little bit like twitchy on the on the submission part. we are got to lay down our lives and die for you. It's like, we don't like that either. We're like, nah, she can lay down her life and kill the huntsman and then I'll come into the room. Once she's killed the huntsman, then I'm good to go in the room. But she's doing the killing of the huntsman. I'm standing up on the bed squealing. <laughs> so this is, this is a picture of two people filled with God's spirit, no longer living selfishly, but living selflessly. And for those of you who've been around for a while, you've seen this illustration. It's it's the wife is submitting. We're going to look at what that means. It's coming under and lifting her husband up. And then it's the husband coming underneath and laying down his life for the wife and lifting her up. And so the, the Christian marriage is not top down, pushing down. It's actually coming under and lifting each other up. And you get two people doing that, you get a beautiful marriage. It's wonderful. When you get it the other way... It can be difficult, tiring, and exhausting. And so when we read this particular passage, in our context, in, in modern context, we, we tend to object to the wives submitting to their husband part. But in an ancient context, this is really important, they objected to the men laying down their lives. So when an ancient person heard this, it wasn't, it wasn't the female side of the room being a little bit like, oh, hang on. It was all the guys going, I don't think so, because they did live in a patriarchal hierarchical system. And so for them, the idea of a man laying down his life for his wife was like unheard of. Next week, we're going to look at even a story around Cyrus and someone who actually came in and and tried to lay down their life for their wife, and it totally impacted Cyrus in such a way that he was like, I've never seen love like that, where does that come from? because it was so antithetical to the culture. Now, here's the thing about the Bible, right? If, if, if everything in the Bible, if we like it, if you read the Bible and you like everything in it and you agree with it, that probably means you're God and God is not God. Let me flesh that out for you. Because He's God and we're not, there's going to be things that just rub us. And we don't like. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. If you find a God that you agree with everything, that means they're not God. So God has called us to so many different things that we're like, uh, uh. Don't tell me what to do with my money. I know exactly what to do with my money. Don't tell me how to do do relationships but God does. So there is something about this passage which will rub us the wrong way, both men and women, both wives and husbands. But we have to ask, what is the Bible? Who is speaking? And we need to do work to try and understand it so we can apply it. Does that make sense? So let's look at what God is calling us to in this marriage. So verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So that's what Paul picks up from Genesis 2.24. And so therefore you have this idea that the the man will, will leave. That's the beginning of the relationship. And at the end you've got the one flesh. That's echad. That's the Hebrew word for like this oneness, this harmony. And then in the middle you've got this holding fast. That's the hard work. It's difficult. That's the ongoing process that I think Paul's outlining here. So the end goal... what? Excuse me, what we're going for is a card. It's deep intimacy. It's this idea of being fully known, yet fully loved. Verse 25 in chapter 2 of Genesis said, And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of like, this. in this relationship there is a sense that you can be fully known. Know everything about each other. Emotionally. Intellectually. Know everything. Yet have this place where you are fully loved. Now, because we live in a broken world, all of us here are constantly doing what Adam and Eve did and we're putting on fig leaves. There is a perception, there is, a, there is something where we're like, I'm not going to let you know everything about me because I don't know I can trust you that if you fully know everything about me, you will still fully love me. And so there's a degree of relationships where we'll allow each other to see into each other's lives. And so that's why trust is such a crucial element of relationships. You won't open up with people and tell them about your deep, dark sort of history of your life, your family of origin, the struggles you have, unless you can trust them. Correct? You, you don't tell everybody everything because you're like, I don't know if I can trust you. And so the way that God made this was this place Where there would be this relationship where we could fully know one another as a husband and a wife. Know as much as possible that we could know about them. There are things about me that you will never know. Carly does. And there are things about Carly that you will never know. But I do. And together we have this safe space where we know. I know everything about you. And look, Carly will tell you some of the, the things if you go, so tell us really about him. She doesn't mind sometimes throwing me under the bus. She will do that occasionally. Um, but I'm fully loved. My wife has had ample reason to leave me over the years. She could have quit on me easily. When I, when I broke down and had a, a breakdown, for, for nine months she was pregnant with our fourth child, working full-time, Raising the family while I was in a fetal position in a bedroom and could do nothing. I learned what it meant to experience being fully loved. I didn't help her. I couldn't help her. And she didn't go anywhere. Safe. She knows all the deep, dark stuff of where my anxiety comes from. She knows every element of that. You don't. Fully loved, fully known. That's what God wants for us in our marriages. And so the first part is leaving. This word is azav. It's it's to forsake, to abandon, to depart, not take along. This this is when I do premarital. i I'm, you know if you've done premarital with me, you know this. Uh, we will go through like this is one of the hardest parts to do in this process, is to leave your family of origin and go. That no longer defines me. That no longer instructs me instructs me, I'm coming over here and we are starting a brand new family of origin. And what's really, really hard is, is her family of origin and his family of origin keep trying to creep into the new family of origin. And your family of origin has a, a, a powerful way of shaping you. And so what often happens, and this is certainly the case for, for us, is I grew up in a family that did communication like this. Carly grew up in a family that did communication like this. And so when we came together, we do communication like this. Because that's the family I came from. So my family, I don't know if you can tell, but we're all extroverted. We love a verbal fight. So the way that we talk is we see something, we tell you, and then we tell you to fix it because we're right and you're wrong. And then she came from a home who who didn't do conflict resolution like that, didn't do communication like that. And so who's who's feeling great in this relationship? Me. I'm telling her all the things. I'm seeing it. I'm pointing out. She's like, you, you don't do that. And so we had this period of time, and every marriage will have this, where it's like, hang on. How do we do communication? How do we do conflict resolution? Because your parents avoided it. My parents embraced it. Neither one is right or wrong. What does the Bible say? Leaving is so hard. Why do you do the toothpaste? You do it. Why do you? Some of you, some of you, some of you put certain things in the fridge that don't belong in the fridge. Why? I don't understand. Why do you put Vegemite in the fridge? It doesn't go in the fridge. Okay, Some of you, it's eggs in the fridge. No, eggs stand on the bench. Apples go in the fridge. We have these stupid arguments about stupid things because we haven't left. Mom and Dad and our family of origin are still telling us how to do things. And what the Christian does is go, actually, we have a brand new reference point. The reference point is the Scriptures. What does God say? How does God say we should do this? So we're going to start a whole new thing there's some people on certain sides of the room who obviously have had lots of arguments about toothpaste <laughs> that you can hear it <laughs> i am a cupboard door drawer drawer shutterer okay so if there is any door that is open if there is any drawer that is open i must okay all right so i'm a little on the spectrum but it has to be it has to be shut okay it has to be has to be tidy if i could have it my way i would label that thing Okay, my wife is like, oh, I'm going to come back to that in five days. So, like, who cares? It can stay open. So, so Carly, Carly's doing something in the kitchen. I walk through the kitchen. Shut, 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 shut. She's like, why is everything shut? I just turned around. Why is it all shut? Now, Fletcher's like me. Gigi's like me. Oh, I love them. They're my favorite kids. Okay, the other two, not so sure about. Okay, I'm still working on them. We'll see if we can get them sort of a little bit ADHD like me. okay um we're different neither of those are right but here, here's what our selfishness does our selfishness says that's the way it is this is how you stack a dishwasher i've got a certain way <laughs> and i'm just starting to hand over the duties to the older kids and i not quite getting it right oh pray for me please <laughs> leaving leaving's hard but you will not get to the the cleaving, the holding fast to one another, to doing some of what Paul is talking about here until you do that. So for those of you who are not yet married, that's a part of the journey. For those of you who are married, continue on that journey. Continue asking, what does God say? And holding fast, it's, it's using this biblical language to speak of covenant faithfulness. Right? Our, our culture does contracts. Contracts are based on mutual distrust. Okay, I don't know that you can hold up your end of the bargain. So we're going to put an agreement so that when you break that, I'm, I'm safe and secure, I'm out. The Bible doesn't paint a picture of contracting relationships. It does covenant relationships, which is I'm fully in. I'm 100% in. I'm all the way in. I'm 100% committed to you for the rest of your life. So, so we don't need to write a contract so much. To, we kind of write this, this little marriage certificate and we sign it and say, we're all in. And so it's not based on mutual distrust, it's based on mutual commitment. You're all in, I'm all in, let's go. And so we're going to work this out even though it's hard. And again, we said this last week, the average marriage in Australia is lasting less than seven years. And what, what even secular sociologists and psychologists are telling us is because it takes seven years to really start to do this. And so it's the rubbing, it's the rubbing, it's the rubbing, it's the rubbing, it's the conflict, 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 conflict. And then after a while, you're like, you know what? This is just too hard. And they don't quite get to the point, sort of where I feel like Carly and I are, and it's like, we've done that. And now we're like connecting in such a great way where I know, leave the drawer alone. It's open for a reason. Amen. So Tim Keller says this. He says, Love is the effort and desire to make someone else everything they were created to be. Within this Christian view of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It's to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to to partner with you and God in the journey you were taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. i got a glimpse of it on earth, but now look at you that's marriage. So what does it look like to hold fast? What is Ephesians 5 sort of trying to get at? at? And we're going to look at some of this today, we'll look at some of it next week. But I think if you, again, if we go back, if you look at the language throughout it, it's to Christ, in Christ, one body. The idea is before we're husband and wife, we're actually brother and sister. That's why it says submitting one to another first, and then it goes, all right, let's flesh this out in other types of relationships in, in, in the world and life. It's the idea that, that my my wife is my wife, but she's also my sister in Christ. And so all the passages that talk about iron sharpening, iron and all these things, where we're we're basically we're saying, hey, we we're sisters brothers in Christ, and now we have this other relationship, which is really beautiful. And so part, part of that comes into this, where like actually our journey is to make each other more like Jesus. To help like my job as the, as the husband is to help my wife to have the best relationship with Jesus she can have, to look the most like Jesus she could, and vice versa and so we 're trying to come and sharpen each other and, and sanctify each other. You can see this language next week where, where he, he talks to the husband and says, you, "You lay down your life for your wife in this way that you 're sanctifying her you 're washing her." And so this language of as to the Lord, his body, because we are members of his body, submit to one another out of reverence for for Christ. And so this, this word submitting one to one another, it's hypotaso, it's this voluntary act of placing oneself under. And so again, it's this picture of the Holy Spirit is changing us, humbling us, so that we we'll be selfless men and women who actually do. We don't take our cues from culture, so we're actually quite okay. We're quite humble to actually come under and lift others up because we're secure in who we are in Jesus. We don't have to be on the top, we don't have to win the argument as much as I love them. There is a sense in which the Holy Spirit is changing his people. Does this look different from culture? Culture is trying to climb. Culture is like fighting for the top. That's why we are tribalizing. Like our culture, like the states is going going wild, we're not far behind. Where the left and the right, we are fighting for power. Fighting for it. Clinging to it. And Christians are like, ah, God's got the power. God's in control. I don't need to do that. I can humbly, selflessly be a husband, be a wife, be a man, be a woman. And so Paul speaks through this as he goes into what it means to submit, what it means to uh, be ahead. And we're going to look at some more of that next week. But we see what he does is he takes us back to the garden. In the garden, God makes a man. His name is Adam. He, he, if you read the text, he's creating different stuff every day, and he's saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he creates the man, and he's like, nah, it's not so good. Okay, now, we're not to take that to mean men aren't good. Okay? We're amazing. Just going to let you ladies know that. We are incredible. Um, I've got, I got, got an amen coming over here. There's only one man who's got the courage. That's because he hasn't been married for five years. All right, he's... He's still, he's still young in the marriage. He's like, yeah, he'll learn. In five years during this series, you'll be like, no, I'm taking the bait on that. <laughs> it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him, which is corresponding to him. So it's this picture that this man, this Adam, is, is on his own. He is incomplete, that he is insufficient. He, he is he's in need of desperate help. Why? Well, because he cannot image God sufficiently on his own. We need male and we need female. And he can't accomplish God's mission, his instructions that he was given to cultivate and tend to the garden. He can't do it on his own. So the way I've written it here is he needs his jigsaw puzzle. He needs that piece, which when you put it together, you see the picture like, ah, there we go. That, that looks like God. And on his own, he can't do that because he can only image God partly. Partly. But with the husband and the wife coming together, he can partner with her and image God and accomplish the mission. And then it says that, that God would make a helper. Now, now, ladies, can I just encourage you, when, when, we, when you read the biblical language, be careful that you don't interpret it through modern language. Okay. So when we hear helper, that to us means subservient to. That's not what the biblical term means. Ezer is is... Constantly spoken of, of God, God is our helper. He's our Azair. It's this picture of, it, it, in many many ways, it's used militarily. It's this picture of strength. So, so the idea of this woman being the helper is not to be subservient to, not to be weak, but rather to use strength to serve, love, and empower as God, as our Azair does. And so, it's the idea of it's coming alongside, it's helping, it's supporting, it's strengthening. So, it's not a picture of weakness, it's actually a beautiful picture. And it's not subservient to. And you're going to see that because Paul's going to go on and say, and husbands, this, this is not something that you get to do this. She is not less than you. And that's the hard part for the ancient, the ancient person hearing. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, yes, this is how it works in the kingdom. And so what we learn from Genesis and Ephesians is that a man and a woman are both created in the image of God, equal in value, dignity, and worth, but created differently. One is not superior to the other. One is not more valuable than the other. Both are working together with their differences. So here is Adam. He's in the garden. He's looking at all the animals, and they have their other. He doesn't have it. He sees. God brings to him his other, and then he actually moves into like dancing and and singing. The first poem ever written in the Bible is when Adam is like this is bone of my bones flesh of my flesh and he sings and there's this picture of like she comes and he and he's like me us same not aardvark not elephant not tiger not definitely not cat human same and so they, they, they look at each other, they see each other, and they see their other, their companion. And they go, oh, that, that's wonderful. Different, different, distinct. We have to make this clear. A man is not a woman. And a woman is not a man. And if you are married for a little while, you learn that real quick. Then we're different. And those differences are not to compete. They're to complement. So there are things about my wife... That are different to me and I've learned that they're beautiful they're good things we're working on the drawer shutting and the cupboard shutting other than that all the different oh we're not getting any more laughs on that one I've used it too much okay we're different so there's sameness yet distinction we're in this thing together but we are going to approach it maybe differently and together we're going to help each other and so what goes wrong well sin enters the story right and as God is outlining the, the consequences of sin, He says this to the woman. He says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Genesis 3.16. To understand what He means by this, you go to the very next chapter, and you've got the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, seven. It says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So what basically what God does is God goes, here's the consequences of how sin impacts. Now we have a power struggle. So your desire is contrary to your husband, so you're going to try and fight to be on top, and he's going to fight to rule over you. And now we don't have, kind of going up, right? we got, and so now it's a fight for the top. And we've seen this throughout history. Through traditional chauvinism, we've seen that. Through third wave feminism, we're seeing that. There's this, there's this fight for who's more valuable, who's on top. But I love Song of Solomon, 7 verse 10. It says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. This is the redemptive picture of here is a husband and wife where he is loving me. He desires his desire is for me and for my good. And so the picture of the Bible is something's gone wrong, and God wants to make something right, and that takes the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Amen. And he's going to go on and we'll look at this next week. We're going to unpack what does it look like? What does it actually mean to submit? What does hupertasso mean in a marriage? What does it mean to be head? Because we need to get this from the Bible, not from culture. What does it mean? We need to wrestle with that. But ultimately what he says is because if you, if you get that picture right, you're actually pointing to God. Because remember, marriage is a shadow. And it's telling us something about the nature of Christ, the church. God and the gospel is all wrapped up in this marriage thing. Which puts a whole lot of pressure on us <laughs> but what I'm greatly encouraged about in this passage is he is saying but I am here to help you I will be your as and I will help you husband I will help you wife I will help you man woman to be able to be selfless bending out to one another rather than in on self so as the band come up let us pray And then to find out a little bit more of how that looks and how that works, you've got to come back next week for part two. And we're going to unpack that in practical terms. And then the week after that, we're going to do a panel with a few bunch of different people where you actually get to ask questions of how how has that looked for you? Uh, What what does that look like in your marriage or in your family when you've got kids that are this age, kids that age, how are you doing things? We want to get really, really practical. So let us pray and then let us sing and take communion together. God we look at the scriptures and we see this great picture that Paul is calling us to through your word and he's encouraging husbands and wives in an ancient period of of history and he's encouraging us today and God the picture is it's wonderful it's beautiful but it really is difficult and hard and it requires humility it requires selflessness it requires a bending out of ourselves one to another and a bending out of ourselves back up to you and wanting to follow you and trust you with your good design and lord we need your help god we need your help as singles who aren't married we need your help as those who might be divorced God, we need your help as those of us who are on our way to marriage. And God, we need your help in marriage. Father, we want to honor you in our relationships. We want to reflect you and your character and your nature in our relationships. And for us to do that, Lord, we, we need the Spirit's help. So Holy Spirit, as we today even just sing to you but even going forward over the next two weeks would you just use these these couple of weeks just to help us reorient help us to just come maybe a little bit one way or the other way depending on how we are in our marriages and our relationships and our families that, Lord, the world would would look at your church and see something and ask questions of like, well, how do you have relationships that look like that? And we could say, well, we're not tussling for power. God's the ultimate. And therefore, we both submit our lives unto the Lord. That looks different. But we're working at this thing together. We're loving each other. And and the fight that we're having is for who can come down and be the lowest to, to lift the other up, not who can get to the top so, Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, work in our hearts, work in our lives. And, Lord, that we would think and consider what it is that you are saying about yourself in this passage. Even as we read the particulars of that you laid down your life for us, the church. God, that we would consider what that means and we'd live in light of that. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others